Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, 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 happy May, you guys. It is birthday month around here at the happy hour. Guess what? Today is my birthday. It's true. It is my birthday. I'm turning 42. Any other women out there loving your 40s? I'm loving my 40s. The funny thing is, is I thought I was 42 for about half of the year. So I think I just earned a whole nother year of being 42. I have some fun thoughts about being 42 over my blog. Check it out. Visit jamieivy.com slash celebrate to read 42 things that I've learned in my life so far. On today's show, my friend Samantha Ponder joins us and we have a great conversation right in the middle of quarantine and we look back at how Samantha even started her career. She was named the host of Sunday NFL Countdown in 2017. She is the third host in 34-year history of the show and Sunday NFL Countdown's first female host. Congratulations, Sam, on that. I love that so much about her and she works in this role with so much integrity, grace, and grit. We talk about this on the show today, and I hope you will hear Samantha's humbleness as she talks about what it has been like to navigate holding firm to her faith while in the public light. Oh, and you guys, you're going to love her love story. It is really, really cute. I admire Sam, and I'm so thankful that she got to come on our show today. Friends, we are right in the middle of the Bible study, Your Story Matters. This is a Bible study that I created because I think that everyone has a story. You know, the funny thing is, I love that Samantha's on here when I'm talking about this. I listened to her on another podcast recently where she shared a lot more of her story, and I thought, this is what I'm talking about. When we can use our stories to point people to Jesus, it becomes something so much bigger than ourselves and so beautiful. In the Your Story Matters Bible study, we dive into this main idea behind this lie, looking at how there's so many moments throughout Scripture that God's people were smack dab in the messy middle, and there was so much that God was up to right in the middle of that. The reason I think that this lie is so approachable and so believable for most of us is that if we're alive, we're in the middle of something. I bet every single one of you are in the middle of something that feels super messy right now. In this Bible study, I also talk with my friend Catherine, and she joins us for an honest conversation at where and how God met her in the messy middle of her life. I'll give you a hint. It was on the bathroom floor. You can jump in live with us or use your Bible study access for the material at any time you want. Here's what I want you to hear. The world needs your story. You have a story worth sharing. You have a story to point people to Jesus. Visit jamieivy.com slash yourstorymatters for more information. Okay, my friends, here's my conversation with Samantha Ponder. Sam, welcome to the happy hour. I am so glad you're here. Jamie, I mean, (laughs) finally, it took a quarantine to get us both able to do this at the same time. So I'm, I'm happy about it. It's the craziest thing because we were actually supposed to interview in person I think it's next weekend. I was going to be in, I was flying into Phoenix next weekend. And of course, you know, everything's canceled. And so I was so looking forward to sitting down with you in person and we would have hugged and not taken it for granted now that we can't even touch anybody. But here we are (laughs) finally getting to chat. And it's so funny because since, you know, we've been chatting online over the past year and, you know, we would watch, you know, NFL countdown on Sunday mornings. And I would tell my kids, I'd be like, look, y'all, that's my friend. And they're like, mom, have you actually ever met her? And I'm like, no, but I'm going to <laughs> one day. 
<laughs> but we live in a I day swear and age. Though, that's, that's just living now. It that's is totally like living. the way I know anyone. And sometimes I feel super creepy because I have a lot of people like that too, where you're like, no, no, no I know them. But then you're like, wait, um, I've actually never met this person. And I know way too much about your life. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Welcome to 2020 on the internet. Okay. So quarantine, how's it going? We'll get that out before we talk about our last 10 years. How are you doing? How's everything going at the household? It's going. I I don't know where we're going and if we're accomplishing anything, but you know, it's weird. In some ways, it's been difficult. It's affected my work and obviously a lot of Americans work. It's affected school. I mean, our our daughter's in kindergarten. And I said to my husband the other day that she probably won't remember this. I, I can't remember much about kindergarten. Maybe she'll have a better memory than me, but a part of me is a little sad that she's just missing kindergarten, you know, like online school is not kindergarten. The entire concept behind kindergarten is kids being together. Um, And, you know, you can't really get that time back. But we have already, I feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're not those people who are like baking together and singing together all day, every day. But we have already been intentional a little bit just in making some memories and really kind of slowing down and spending time together. So that's been good. That's, I think that's what a lot of people are going to come on the other side of this as sometimes it was hard to spend so much time with the people that you love, but then other times it was so beautiful because we don't, as me being the mom of teenagers, there's not a week when we eat every meal together at night because they're either at track practice or a football game or a choir rehearsal, fill in the blank. And so we've had dinner every night together. And I love that so much. Just like fills my mama's heart up to see all my people around the table. But we'll remember this year as that. Sam, I would let everyone down if I didn't ask you right out of the gate about uh, football in the fall. Because let me just tell you, I was just talking with my friend, Melanie Schenkel. She's an Aggie. I'm a Longhorn. Listen, we don't want to sound inconsiderate and we don't want to sound like we're uh, out of touch with the reality of what's going on in the world because we are like we're so in touch with that but if there is the hint that we may not have college football in the fall what are we even supposed to do with our Saturdays (laughs) see this will tell you Jamie a little bit about the world that I live in my thought process behind all this, you know, the, the administration right now was saying that they were having trouble for a while getting people to really believe in social distancing and practice it. My world is so football focused. And as you know, like in certain parts of the country, that's just how you live and breathe. I'm like, listen, guys, here's what you need to do. You need to stand up in front of the whole country and you need to say, if you don't stay home, we're not playing. I'm never leaving my house again. If you, if you tell me that (laughs) I'm never leaving. All right. Done deal. We're all home. We're not going anywhere because it's a real, yes. Yes. Because it is a real concern right now. I mean, they're already, I know in the NFL and, and in college football coming up with contingency plans, like how are we going to do it? If it doesn't happen in the fall, would we push it back? But then the question of, if you push it back, can you start the next year on time? Because you can't give, especially pro athletes, you can't give them two months off to recover. Like It's not going to work like that. So I'll keep it positive, Jamie, and say, yes, I think it's all going to start on time. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just, we, it was so funny when Mel and I were talking about it. Cause we were just like, listen, we want to remember all the things happening, but we really, really want to see college football start in the fall. And I'm like, listen, I already gave my money for my season tickets. Where what's going to happen with, <laughs> with my tickets? 
<laughs> yes. Are you kidding me? I'm like, I don't have a job if this, <laughs> if this doesn't happen. You know, when you're getting Aggies and Longhorns to agree on things. That's I mean, exactly we are right. all coming together in ways we never have before. Like, please we, just give us football. We are coming together. We are coming together. Okay. talk. Uh, speaking of football, football is a lot of your life. Um, and so this whole special edition that we do on Fridays is about your last decade. And I know that your last decade has um, been crazy to, to say the least. I mean, you have, you've accomplished so much. I know I've heard you talk about how you even got into what you're doing and it's just a crazy story in and of itself. And just, you're just what I would say from the outside looking in, maybe living your dream career job right now. Um, if not, you can tell me what you hope to do in the next 10 years at the end. But I want to go all the way back to 2010. And I want you to tell me, what did what did Sam's life look like in 2010? What were you doing? Just what was going on in 2010? Well, first, I got to say, I'm glad I've journaled through all this because my memory is so bad at this point. I'm like, 2010, what was, <laughs> where even was I? The, the last decade has been so wild. When I think back to that, so I graduated college in 2009. So 2010, I was just grinding, trying to figure out how to get a job, what I was going to do, what life looked like. I had no boyfriend, uh, no kids, no home. I mean, there was a period where I was living out of my car, actually at a Whole Foods parking lot in Austin, Texas. So uh, you probably know the Whole Foods downtown. I do. Um, you were living so out of I, your car I, I there? I used to live in that parking lot. <laughs> yes. And then there was like a 24 hour fitness or LA fitness or something close by. And so I would shower there in the morning and then go to work uh, at Longhorn Network. But that wasn't until 2011. So that next year. But yeah, I, I met my husband in 2012, uh, which was wild because I also married him in 2012. So we met my first day. I had been at Longhorn Network for a year. And then I got the call to do a uh, college game day when Aaron Andrews was leaving. I was chosen to replace her on game day. So I was living in Austin at the time, living downtown. And first weekend of college game day was in Dallas. And that's when I met Ben, the night before my first day of game day. So that was September 1st, 2012. And then we got married December 17th of 2012. We're going to need to pause <laughs> and I'm going to he- need to hear more of this story. You met him the day before your first day on the job. How did y'all meet? And then how did you get married within six months? Yeah. So he hit me up on Twitter, like all the uh, true romantic men do. And the funny thing is he actually up on Twitter about Austin. So he was trying to use anything. Now I know, like just come up with something I can talk to her about. So he sent me a message that was like, how do you like living in Austin? I'm thinking about getting a place there in the off season. He was with the Minnesota Vikings at the time. And I remember getting the message from him and being like, what's the old Florida state quarterback tweeting me for? Like what? We have no connection. I didn't cover Florida state at the time I had been doing well at the time Longhorn network, but I had been doing PAC 12 and PAC 10 sports at the time. So there was really no connection there. Come to find out he was just trying to find something to talk to me about. So as much as I make fun of him, I respond and we kind of struck up this like back and forth on Twitter. And then he eventually called me in August when he was in training camp and we would talk, I mean, Jamie, like old school, annoying junior high, three hours a night. Like we're both like not sleeping so we can talk on the phone. Now I'm like, wow, you guys are so lame. (laughs) You're like, I don't have enough words to give for three hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. 
no, I'm like, we maybe talk three minutes a day and maybe right. that's not good, but like <laughs> we got life going All the on. kids, so, all the lives. Um, yeah. Yes. So, so basically we met for the first time. He, you, he had a Thursday night game and so he had the weekend off and his family is from Dallas. So he kind of used it as an excuse to be like, oh, I'm going home to see my family. And uh, game day that first week was at Cowboy Stadium, outside Cowboy Stadium. I think it was like a Michigan-Alabama game or something like that. Anyway, so he flew in and came over and met me that night. And then the greatest thing about it was the next day, we didn't tell anybody because I didn't want people being like, oh, is she talking to an athlete? Like, this is how... So I was like, let's just kind of keep this quiet. So he showed up at game day the next day just because he wanted to go and see it. And I remember our PR lady at ESPN, uh, this woman named Carrie, who's the sweetest, she came up and she was like, hey, do you know who that guy is over there? And I was like, who, who, you know, like trying to make sure I wasn't lying, but like just asking questions. I'm like, who, who is it? She's like, that's Christian Potter. He was with the Vikings. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I know of him. So she takes me over to him and introduces me. I'm like, hi, nice to, <laughs> nice to meet you. And we were married four months later. Oh my gosh. That is so crazy. So y'all had a completely long distance relationship for the whole time. The whole time. And honestly, even for the first year of marriage, I was on the road. So I was doing Thursday night football games on ESPN. And then Friday I would fly to the college game day location. I would tape a show college football live there on Friday, do game day in the morning, Saturday morning, then fly to another city Saturday night for the Saturday night game on ABC. And then I would come home Sunday he has games on Sunday, so I don't see him on Sunday. We would see each other one day a week. Every week, that was like our schedule was we saw each other one day a week. So when people are like, well, the first year of marriage is so hard. I'm like, the first year was actually quite easy. <laughs> like, like, we didn't even really get we to know each strangers. other until the second year. Jamie, it is really though. Like there are things even now, I'll never forget. We had been married for a while and we're driving down the street and I look over and this man is biting his nails. And I was like, oh. Hold up. <laughs> you buy your nails? <laughs> this is, this is not, they were just base now. Thank God I've changed that. So he's, he's not doing <laughs> no more that anymore. <laughs> no more. No more of that. But there are so many things that I just had no clue about that we kind of figured out as we went. And uh, it's been an interesting road. Did you ever cover any of the games he was playing in? No, no. So I didn't do any NFL actually until he was out of the NFL. Okay, gotcha. Um, it was weird how we kind of switched. He, uh, I didn't cover him at all in college, so we'd never met or talked or anything. And then when I left college game day for Sunday countdown, he'd been retired for, uh, I think, a full year at that point. Okay, okay. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Yes, actually, I can because people acted like it was like that when I took the job. I cannot tell you how many outlets wrote articles that were like, this is, you know, not, this isn't professional. I can't believe they're letting him do that. I'm not actually covering him. (laughs) We have people. Yes. And by the way, and this is just my personal opinion as a host, because I'm not a, a journalist, my, my insight and the things that I know about that really go on in the NFL are so much greater knowing him and having lived that life than if I had just stayed on the media side. So I feel like it gives me a greater perspective in terms of what these athletes are actually really dealing with and what that life is like. So I always saw it as a benefit, but there are always going to be some old school people that, you know, just are finding, it always cracked me up because it was okay for, you know, Kirk Herbstreet to cover an Ohio State game or a Clemson game. His sons play at Clemson. 
and be totally unbiased, but right. uh, because I was married to someone who used to play in the NFL and, I, you know, it, yeah. people are always going to find something. To They're always going to find something. They're always going to. Okay. So you guys get married. Did the world go, wait, what just happened? Because how did these people even know each other and now they're married? How was that for you as being in the public eye and your husband as well? And then all of a sudden you're married in this short amount of time What people go, wait, where did this come from? So the way that they handled it uh, in terms of the public where I was living at the time, because I moved to Minnesota right after we got married, in the Minnesota newspaper, it said that I was pregnant. <laughs> which was hilarious because no, I, I definitely was not pregnant, but that it was assumed that they did pretty asked. It's not like somebody reached out and said, Hey, do you have, because of course no one would do that, yeah. but they would write it for everyone in my new community and some of the curiosity. I mean, we drove to a courthouse in Wisconsin on a Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, and just got papers and had the guy in there marry us. Our own parents didn't even know. And then we got a call that night. Christian got a call from a local reporter that was like, hey, man, I saw that you guys got married in some like, you know, recorder thing that they have to do. And uh, we're going to report it tomorrow. So Christian was like, oh, crap, I got to call my mom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so those were interesting conversations. But uh, yeah, we spent Christmas together right after that. And uh, it's been nonstop crazy ever since. I love it so much. Okay. So when you were here in Austin doing Longhorn Network, which is so fun, and I love that you lived and loved in my city and then moved on to college game day. Was it 2017 when you moved on to NFL Sunday morning? Yes. So I, I did, uh, it was Longhorn Network. I, I went to Fox first right out of college, then Longhorn Network, then college game day for six years, five or six years. And then to countdown after that. Okay. All right. You have worked on two of my favorite shows to watch on the weekend. So that is so very fun to see that Yay. you're getting to do all those fun things. <laughs> okay. So I have a couple of questions for you as just working as a woman in the NFL. I can imagine that comes with some difficultness just because it's a, you know, a man sport and it's been heavily, you know, dominated by even on the journalist side and the host side, all those kind of things. How have you kind of navigated your way, especially on the show, because this is where I know you the most is the NFL show. How have you navigated your way to be kind of like one of the guys and to have, they, they value you so much and they respect you. It's not, it doesn't feel like you're the token woman on there. And how have you navigated that world? Well, first of all, thank you. I mean, that was always, the the important thing to me when I first started out, because my, my dad's a coach and I grew up around sports. I had two brothers and an older sister and, and just loved sports in general as a kid growing up. I played three sports every every year since I was, I guess, five or six. But it was always really important to me when I first started out, when I was 18, living in New York City, that I appeal to men and women. And I, I saw some examples ahead of me of people who went, went hard on the, let me appeal to men genre and people who went hard and like, let me just appeal to women. And it was really important to me that I was able to do both because that's authentic to who I am. Like I genuinely love football and whether or not I was married to a guy, I mean, I loved football long before I met Christian and that was just kind of my life growing up. So in terms of my relationships with the guys on the show, I realized really early on that you set the tone for the nature of those relationships at the very beginning. Like you can walk in as, and I'll just say it honestly, because I think people know this, you can walk in as a sex symbol 
or the token, like we got to have a woman in the room, or you can walk in as an equal and not equal in like, I'm never going to be equal to Randy Moss. He's a hall of famer in terms of like my football knowledge. I think it's ridiculous when a host male or female tries to pretend like I can know the game in the same way he can, because that's just not possible in terms of experience. But it was really important to me early on that they saw me almost like a sister and that they could mess with me. That So that includes things like, I didn't want to be super sensitive about stuff. I wanted to be able to take a joke and not take myself too seriously. I wanted to pay attention to the way I dressed and the way I talked. And look, I haven't done all of that perfectly, but it it certainly was purposeful on my part to kind of establish myself as someone who was not threatening in any way to, to women um, to feel like I was trying to, whether it was use my sexuality or use my position on the show to get ahead in some other area. I have no aspirations of doing other entertainment stuff. I just love talking about football and I've been super lucky, like you said, to be able to be on two shows where it's about as good as it gets when it comes to that. It really is about as good as it gets. And I love that. Um, I've heard you tell the story before about how you kind of even landed your job and, and forgive me if I'm missing something here. Were you waitressing someplace? Is this what, is this part of the story that I've heard? I was beneath a waitress. I was a host. (laughs) So I wasn't good enough to actually give people their food. (laughs) Tell me that story because I remember hearing it and thinking, man, that was not, it was not just as to me, it's not just a story of, I got to be in the right place at the right time, but it's a story of, I'm just going to try to position myself wherever I can maybe get a, a foot in. And so tell, tell me that story of how you landed that first job. So I grew up in Phoenix. I had no connections to anyone in TV. Like if you were on the local news here, I thought you that, wow, you are yeah. very famous. Like <laughs> I was very impressed um, by anybody who was on TV and, and didn't know anyone in real life. So I had no connections in terms of like, how do you get into this industry and what do you do? So my, in my little pea brain at the time, I thought, well, where are the networks? The networks are in New York City. And I had been, my dad took basketball teams up to Harlem, up to Riverside to to play my childhood. So I've been to New York a lot and I love the city. I thought, you know what? I'll just, I'll move up to New York and I will try and get an internship at one of these networks. And my thought process was if it doesn't work out, you know, Arizona State has a great broadcasting school. It's right down the street back home. I could go there for cheap. So I'll just, I can always come back home. And so I just went when I was 18, two months after high school graduation, and I had no money. Like my parents did not give me a dime for school or anything. So I'm taking out these loans, going to this tiny school in the Empire State Building called the King's College. But my whole purpose in going there was to try and break into this industry. So I, there was about 10, I lived on 34th Street and Broadway right next to the big Macy's. And, uh, about eight blocks away on 46 was in Times Square, a place called ESPN Zone, which was a restaurant. I don't know if any of them still exist. I know that one got shut down. But, um, and my, this tells you how naive I was. <laughs> I thought if you work at ESPN Zone, you got to meet some ESPN people, right? Like, isn't that how it works? Well, no. Right. I showed like up. They're going there to have lunch like, every day. <laughs> yes. It was like, no, it's Ashley from Idaho also working <laughs> there, or like tourists in town. <laughs> you know, like there was no connection. The crazy thing is, they actually, I didn't know this when I got the job, but there was a studio, like a radio studio in the building. Um, that happened to be close to like the main host stand. 
So these radio guys, now they were like local radio guys from ESPN, but they would come in there and any time one of them came in, they weren't coming to eat. They were just walking straight to the thing. I would kind of, I have my little name tag that said like, Samantha, Arizona, you know, showing where you're from or whatever. And I would walk up and tell my little story about what I wanted to do. And eventually I kind of met somebody who met somebody else and I got connected with a a guy that ran the internship department and got an internship at ABC Sports Radio and then an internship at ABC Sports, which is where I stayed for three years as the research assistant for John Saunders, uh, Craig James and Doug Flutie, which was how I got really I have them to thank for everything else that I experienced after that because they kind of vouched for me and helped me make a tape and all that. But it was. Again, it's one of those things you can't like tell somebody, Jamie, like, here's how you should do it. Like move to a random city and work at a restaurant. But I can kind of see God's grace in all of that and saying, hey, if this is what you think you want, all right, here's some opportunity to do it. Now, once you do it, you're going to figure out that that doesn't solve all your other issues that you think it's going to solve. But but yeah, it's it's been a fun, crazy ride. Was this what you're doing now when you went to New York City and, and, you know, you said, I thought, you know, the people in my local Phoenix News were like just the most famous because they're on TV and you didn't have connections. And I'm assuming that you wanted to do this public broadcasting on TV is doing what you're doing now. And okay, I got two questions for you. I'm confused by something you said earlier, and I want you to explain it to me. You called yourself a host versus a journalist. And so mm-hmm. in the job that you're doing now on um, NFL Sunday Countdown, right? Yeah. Uh, what is your specific job? And then my second question is, are you, do, are you living the dream that you thought about when you moved to New York City? Yeah. So my actual job as a host, and there are people who have different opinions about this. So this is not, this is a, this is very subjective, but I'll just okay. give you my take. I think there are journalists in this world who are only fact-based. They don't insert their opinions. Now, I think this is in some ways kind of a dying breed, but it still exists. People who are just looking for truth and they don't bring themselves into it, at least as much as humanly possible. Obviously, we all have our underlying biases based off how we were raised or whatever. But even in sports, there are people who, and I'll give people, someone like Rinaldi, if, if people watch, there are people who, who really just tell other stories and try and get at, at truth and, and do a really great job of that. My job, the way I see it, is as a facilitator. So there are times when I interject my opinion in order to get conversation going or to kind of push back. Like if, if Rex Ryan says something that I think is a little outlandish, I know that's a crazy thought, but uh, I might say what I think to kind of push back at him. I don't think a journalist does that. I think a journalist just asks the questions to try and get at truth. And our show, look, it's a, it's a pregame show. It's a morning show. I want it to feel fun and relaxed. I want people to feel like they know us and know our personality. So it's a lot more personality-based, in my opinion, than just hardcore journalism. And then in terms of your question about my, my dreams, the answer is no, this is not my dream job because I could not have even fathomed Jamie like if you would have asked me as a kid I mean my big dream was I just wanted to report on the Phoenix Suns so if I got to do that for my local newspaper here in Phoenix or just be a a beat writer or whatever I wanted to do whatever I could to be around the teams that I loved I never in a million years I mean I grew up in a house we didn't have cable so I didn't have ESPN 
Um, we spent our weekends. My, my dad would have a, and I grew up in a, a conservative Christian home. So, so people will understand this if they also live that life. My parents were not a fan of TV in general, but we had a, like a big giant box of a TV on a cart, like a kitchen cart that my dad would roll into the closet. And if there was a big enough game, like Super Bowl or like maybe a big Saturday night football, like Keith Jackson type football game, he would roll it out. But we weren't just watching TV. When I went to be on college game day, that first day after I met Christian, I had never seen college game day. <laughs> okay. Like I had no clue. So they're taking me out on this golf cart and there are hundreds of fans, like thousands cheering and screaming and yelling. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is happening? It was so foreign and so far beyond anything I dreamed up for myself. And then if you would have told me, you're going to take over for Chris Berman, one of the legends in all of sports broadcasting on Countdown. When my agent called to tell me that, I was like, excuse me, what? Excuse, wait, <laughs> there must be wrong some number. Uh, so no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. It's all been so far beyond anything I, I dreamt up for myself. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. How has um, being a Christian and being in the public eye and working in um, sports, media, entertainment, how has that been for you? And have there been times where you've kind of had to figure out like, how do I do my job well and still stay true to my faith? I think no matter what your job is, I think you have to, there are those conversations you have to have. And there are those things you have to think through. What does that look like for you, Sam, as you, you know, advance in your career and do different things? What does it look like for you to bring your faith into everything you do? So it's been a learning, pro it, it hasn't been a learn. it still is a learning process for me, especially because, and you know this, Jamie, like the last 10, 15 years, there's been such a shift in what we know about people in the media because of social media. 
Yeah. So before you could have a, a personality or persona publicly and then be a totally different person at home and no one would know. I mean, yeah. examples like people like Michael Jordan, where he was able to create this persona because there was no social media. He wasn't showing us what he was doing at home. Now the lines are so blurred. And I've had a hard time, to be honest, navigating how much do I share certain issues like hot button controversial issues. My natural personality growing up, my dad's a coach, but he's also an attorney. So I grew up just loving a good debate and argument, like not in a volatile way, just that kind of gets me going. (laughs) Um, And so when I first started out, it was when Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff was just getting going. I was like, well, here are my thoughts on 30 (laughs) different issues. And now I'm like, dear Lord, what was I doing? Like, I was just, I wouldn't have said I was looking for a fight, but I think deep down, Mm. I was just making it about me. I had strong beliefs on these issues, but I was too much of the focus. And I think as I've gotten older and as my platform has expanded, I've started realizing what's the ultimate goal. If the ultimate goal is to really show people what walking with God can look like in a public space. Like, should I not be known for kindness and forgiveness and compassion with people when my natural inclination is to like fight back or have like a witty comment or, you know, it's like, man, I have to deny myself in that and remind myself what the ultimate goal is. So I still don't have it And I mess this up so many times. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, oh, delete that tweet. Or (laughs) if you saw my saved tweets, like saved draft, that has been a lifesaver for me as I try and figure out. You're like, let me think on this for a few hours. (laughs) Or a few years. A few years. A few years. (laughs) Well, there've been a handful of times, even in the past couple of years that I have thought when there's been things that have come up in, you know, the NFL world that are not football related, but are conversations that you guys are having to have because it involves football players. There's been a handful of times that I remember watching you talk about it on air and thinking, this is a hard conversation to have because you're having to talk about someone's, you know, character, for instance, or something that has happened in the media with an NFL player. And that, I, I think that that might be, in my eyes, one of the hardest things that I would think it would be a part of your job is to still bring truth and compassion to a conversation about, I'm going to throw an example out and I'm not going to say any names or anything, but maybe there was a story about a man beating his wife and you having to bring like your true feelings about that and your truth and your compassion without looking like, do you know what I'm trying, do you know what I'm trying to say about this? Yes. I know exactly what you're trying to say. Cause that's how I feel in every meeting. Mm-hmm. That I'm so glad you brought that up, Jamie, because there have been so many times where I've, I've felt the weight of when you're the only woman in a room. And I'm, I've am i been like that since I was 18. So when an issue comes up where it's like a women's issue or domestic violence or whatever, all eyes are on you. Like You are now representing all of female humanity. And that's a little overwhelming. Sometimes I know that's obviously being dramatic and exaggeration, but that's how it feels in those moments. But then you add the element of, and this has helped me, realizing this has helped me in so many areas of my life. How would I talk if I knew that person? Mm -hmm. So what happened for me in the NFL is because my husband had been playing for the last six years and a lot of these guys I covered in college, I knew a lot of them. So there would be issues who, that would come up and, and I maybe knew the wife or I, I knew kind of the backstory. And you always handle difficult subjects differently 
when you care for the person. Right. And so that it it gave me a level of empathy and sympathy that I think I hadn't had before as just a media member where it was like, well, this guy did something wrong and he needs to pay for it. And this is justice. It's a little, those waters are a little murky when relationship comes into play. And it's taught me to be softer with my words in those scenarios. And there is a time and place for some righteous anger. Like, trust me, I'm not saying that you never hold people accountable, but I I came from an interesting background because I had been in situations in my life where I wish someone would speak up for me Mm. because the other person was more powerful and I was just some random girl, you know? So I empathize with a lot of the victims in those situations. But I also know that a lot of times in media, we don't know the whole story. And so it gets, it gets complicated, but to your point, it's a lot trying to figure out how to navigate those situations and still be loving and still be an advocate for forgiveness while, uh, caring about justice. I don't know that I have it down to a science, but I'm, I'm certainly working on it. Well, I can see that you like care about it and are passionate about it because it comes through when those conversations come up, when we're all kind of, it's not, and I don't want you to think either that all of us women are like, okay, Sam, you are, you are our spokesperson speak up for us. But it is kind of this moment of you're the, you're the only voice on that show that comes from understanding what it might feel like to be a woman. And so I know you probably feel like it's a lot of pressure and to be honest, it probably is a lot of pressure, uh, but I think you're handling it really well. And I can tell that there is a uh, camaraderie between you and the guys because it's not like, it doesn't feel like they're asking you to be the spokesperson for all women. It seems like they're just asking you to speak up for you. And I think that that comes through and that is exciting to see as well of just, this is Sam's opinion and voice on this. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. That comes, to be honest, from working with men who also value their own wives Mm. and all the guys that I work with do. Um, And that, makes such a huge difference at work when they don't just respect you because you're in that position. They respect you because you're a human being made by God and you have a relationship with their wife. So that helps too. I love that. I love that. Okay. So one thing I want to ask you real quick is you guys live in two different cities. And again, because we're like friends and my kids don't believe me, I see you on social media and talk to you, but you, (laughs) you literally have two homes. How does this actually work with a couple of things? Number one, your kid's school. And number two, I know you're from Phoenix. Is that what brought you guys back to Phoenix? So when we got married, Christian was still playing in Minnesota and we didn't want to stay there in the off season. I, I think, I mean, I, maybe this is rude, but for obvious reasons, uh, I think we all January know why you didn't want to stay May, there in the winter. <laughs> uh, and because I was from Phoenix, Christian actually trained for the draft in Scottsdale. So he was familiar with Phoenix and likes to golf and fish and be outside. And so that wasn't a hard sell the first time around. And then when we started having kids, so uh, about one year after we got married, we had our, a year and a half after we got married, we had our first daughter and then we had, my kids are five, two and one. So it was kind of all uh, a blur there. Once we started having kids, it was like, where does grandma live? And grandma yeah. <laughs> is in Phoenix and my brothers are here that have kids and my sister. So it was just about that family help, if you will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little complicated at this stage because my job is in Bristol, Connecticut and Christian was transitioning out of the NFL, trying to figure out what he wanted to do next. He'd never lived in New York city. I'd lived there for four or 
three years before. He thought he might want to get into finance or something. So we thought, you know what? If you're going to do countdown in Connecticut, it's a two-hour drive. Let's just go live back in the city and see what city life with kids is really like. And we love it. Um, it's obviously right now, it's it's just terrible what's going on there. But that community has been so incredible for us. So that it's been great, but it's also complicated. You know, our daughter is five, so she's in full-time kindergarten. So she goes to school in New York in the fall. And then when we come back to Phoenix, she was going to school here. But now because of the quarantine, is actually doing online school for her New York school. So I don't know if they're going to keep that up, like let her do at home in Phoenix school next year. Maybe we should try and pitch them on that. But it's good. You know, kids are so adaptable, so adaptable. And we have loved what they've been exposed to living in New York and just the questions that come up and the different kinds of people they're around. We love the family environment we have here in Phoenix. But man, if we ever have to leave New York City, that's going to be a, a hard choice. It's like the best of both worlds because we love New York City. We honeymooned there. We've been there often in our, you know, 20 years of marriage. But I've always said, like, I don't think I could live there, but I could go there often. So it's almost like you get to do that. You get to go there all the time for half the year and then come back and live in Phoenix. And Phoenix is beautiful. I love Phoenix. So you really are living the best of both worlds. Well, our life there, and I will say, this is my personal opinion. I feel like most people who say they couldn't live in New York have spent most of their time in like the crazy parts of Manhattan, like Times Square, Midtown, or even like some parts of Soho or downtown. We're on the Upper West Side next to the park. And it is like stroller to stroller on the sidewalks. It's very family friendly. It's still city life, but it's a much more slower pace than the craziness of like Times Square. Love it. Love it. Okay. I always end these interviews, Sam, asking me what they're loving and what they're reading. So what do you got for me? Oh gosh, as you know, being in quarantine, I'm I'm really stretching here to to find the things that I'm loving right now. I I will say, and this is maybe cheesy as a mom and maybe actually more indicative of bad decisions I've been making. What I'm loving right now is playing in the yard with my children mm. with no phone and with no agenda. I had kind of defaulted to one of those moms. I hate saying this, but that like always had, I was like the one second mom, like one second, I like, hold on. I'm, you know, I'm doing this other thing and I'm just, I'm out of excuses. There's (laughs) nothing to do. (laughs) Yes. And honestly, it's been now I value that more that when someone asks me to do something or be somewhere, you know, on the phone or whatever, I'm like, Oh no, no, I'm doing something. Meaning I'm literally tossing a softball to my son so he can learn how to bat. Like that's what I'm loving right now. And I think that's kind of the silver lining of the whole quarantine thing. Oh, and then the other, another small one is just that not buying things. I had become such a consumer. Right. I, and then I started now you can see it all because it's all on Amazon. I'm buying the same stuff. Like I am so happy to not be buying all the things, except for like toilet paper. Except for all the essentials that we need. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Yes. But there's no excuse to like kind of wander into some random store and and end up coming. Nope, none of that. None of that. That's not happening. Why did I buy all these linen dressing wear? Exactly. Okay. Well, speaking of, I have one more question before you tell me your last thing, because I wanted to know this since you live in Phoenix in the off season, And this is like, really, we're quarantined. So we're having all this like extra time. Would you normally be working right now? Or is this always a downtime for work for you? 
So this is draft season for me. So I would have been, if things were normal, I would have been in Las Vegas getting ready for the draft. And then all that was canceled. They're still having the draft, but no one's flying anywhere. And it basically took away my job because my job was going to be to, like I would interview Commissioner Goodell or I would interview players or whatever. And obviously none of that's happening. So yeah, all the things that I was doing, whether it was, and you get this, like speaking engagements, everything shut down. And then I was also in a contract year. So they're like, Hey, (laughs) this this isn't going to go so well for you. But obviously we're in the same boat and everyone's impacted differently. You know, that's exactly right. I think there's a better way of saying it. We're all in the same water. We're just in different boats. I think some people are on yachts and some people are on fishing boats, but we are, we are all in the same bumpy water. Yes. Yes. Which is so crazy about this whole global pandemic is the entire world is affected by something, which is just my brain can't even handle. It just kind of blows up. Um, okay. So what's the third thing you're loving? Oh, third thing I'm loving. <laughs> this is actually, uh, quite pathetic, but I put on a dress randomly, um, like three days ago and sent my entire family into like complete shock. So what I'm loving is like playing dress up right now. And I know it sounds so weird because if you're looking at me right now, I'm wearing um, sweats like I have been every day. And I'm just now remembering because my daughter is in such a dress up stage being five. I'm remembering the fun of like, let's kind of become somebody else or do something different. It's super random, but you can tell I'm living in like princess world right now. I'm kind of loving that. Again, all of the things I'm loving right now are very quarantine specific. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Okay, what are you reading these days? So I, maybe this sounds weird, but one of the things that I do whenever I'm in a difficult season, which this last year and a half has been just a rough season on a number of fronts from a health perspective and health of my kids and job and all that kind of stuff. There's just been a lot of difficulty. And one of the things I've learned outside of obviously getting in the word and and being reminded of truth is one of the things that helps me is to read historical books about people in difficult times. Mm-hmm. Like just remembering, like I, I reread uh, The Hiding Place. Is that Hiding Place? Yeah. I've read it so many times that I, yes. Things like that, that have been good reminders to me that like people have dealt with much worse and had better attitudes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, here I am quarantined in a nice house with, you know, space to run and play. And my whole family is healthy right now. It's like, what? Yes, fare as well in my contract negotiations and work is going to look a little bit different. And there are plenty of things to complain about. But being reminded when I read these books of people that endured much more difficult things than me is actually very soothing. So I've been reading a lot of like World War II historical, you know, Holocaust, Holocaust times um, books to, to remind myself of that. I love that. I was just doing some research for something the other day and ran across a book that five women who changed the world or something like that. And Corey Ten Boom was one of them and rereading some of her stuff. And just, it did immediately change my perspective on this struggle that we're in. It's, it doesn't lessen how hard it feels for us right now, but it reminds us of that people, like you said, have been through much worse and with much more joy and gotten on the other side and persevered so well. So that is so true. Yeah, it's been helpful for me. And honestly, I want my kids to know this stuff too, because it's hard for kids. You know, you got teenagers. It's like, 
they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Like a little perspective, I think sometimes, and not in comparing, like, look, your pain is your pain. And I'm not saying we should always compare like, oh, I'm sad. I shouldn't be sad. There are people who have X, Y, and Z. But I also think sometimes big picture perspective is, is helpful in the midst of something like this. I agree. I agree. Sam, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Thank you for being a voice. Thank you for being a woman that is doing great things. And it's been fun chatting with you today. Jamie, thanks so much. I hope, hopefully, when the world at least gets back to moving around and flying on planes, we've got to do a meetup in Austin. Any excuse to get back to Austin is good for me. So hopefully next time I see you, maybe at a Texas Longhorn game at DKR, I will hang out with Jamie. Oh, my gosh. I hope that I'm at a Texas Longhorn game in the fall is all I got to say about that. Because if I'm not, oh my gosh. We're thinking positive. We're thinking positive. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you. Friends, did you not love Samantha Ponder? She is just absolutely the cutest. She's the real deal. She loves Jesus. I am with her that if we should just tell people, guys, if you want football in the fall, you guys need to stay home and wash your hands and follow the rules. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Sam's story and that you're encouraged by what she shared at the end about being able to look to those faith stories from history who endured really difficult trials and tribulations and see that their stories are reminders to us and they help give us perspective to our current circumstances to keep our eyes on the bigger picture and gratitude even in the midst of our own trials. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson. The whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my friends, my guest is Paula Ferris. Paula is a senior national correspondent at ABC News and host of the popular podcast, Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. Check that out this week. And previously was co-anchor of the Good Morning America Weekend Edition, as well as a co-host on The View. Yes, that's right. Two weeks in a row, we're having TV hosts on to the happy hour. Paula and I have a lot of fun chatting together about faith and life. She also is the real deal, and I know you're going to love our conversation. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a virtual happy hour with a friend, and I will see you guys next week with my friend, Paula Ferris. <laughs>